0: Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. Today, I have an author who specializes in young adult novels, so he's the perfect person to come on and do uh, a young adult version of Scott Free. So, it's my pleasure to welcome Varian Johnson to the show. Varian, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah, so you have a a book coming out pretty soon called Mr. Miracle, The Great Escape. It's uh, a little bit of a different version of of Scott Free. I want to get into it, kind of the differences and uh, just your take on, on, on Scott. And I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think it has a, a lot of, of value. It's so fun and adventuresome, but there's, there's little nuggets in there that are like really good lessons and um, things that are conversation starters about sure. some things that might be a little uncomfortable to talk about, but things that we need to talk about. Yeah, you know, and as as a person of color, I'm, I'm sure you're you're very well, well aware of that. But but before we get into kind of the novel specifics, I wanted to ask you, how, you know, how you got involved. You've you've had award winning young adult novels before, uh, things like the Parker Inheritance, for example. Yes. Um, but how did you uh, did DC approach you to to do uh, a, a young adult? Like, uh, how did you get involved with doing this for DC? And then specifically for Scott Free, was he somebody you were familiar with? Give us sure. uh, kind of the the impetus of the project.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I had talked to DC um, before a couple of years before I started the project, and I knew that they were rolling out this this series of books, this program of, of books, uh, kind of geared towards kids and younger readers. And I was eager to work on the project, and they were seen eager to have me to work on the project too. So after we initially talked. Um, we i sent kind of a series of pitches to them Mm -hmm. and their pitch was oh okay but not quite or maybe but not quite um and so for a while it kind of died at that point i've been really trying to kind of pitch this nightwing this um this Dick Grayson type series to them and they already had someone doing Dick Grayson so I kind of come in a different way or a different way or a different way and it wasn't quite working and then so I finally said well, okay that's fine let me just put it aside and I've got plenty of other prose novels to work on I've got uh my own graphic novels to work on too um, and that was about maybe that it kind of lied dormant for a year mm-hmm. and then um I was talking to someone about this book I wrote called The Great Green Heist, uh, which is kind of like Ocean's Eleven uh, set in middle school, with all these characters pulling out this really, really great heist. And they're like, yeah, I really wish we had more heist stories. And I'm like, you know, we got plenty of heist stories. And I started naming some, and I thought, but we don't have a lot in the, enough in the the graphic novel world. And then that made me think of of Scott Free, um, who I had been familiar with, many many years and i thought oh it would be really really great to do some type of heist novel some type of escape story with like uh the universe's greatest escape artist so i wrote them back a really really small pitch they said this sounds great can you expand Uh, i expanded it and then that eventually became uh the book mr miracle with the great escape
0: Cool. So it sounds like you were already a, a DC fan. You know, you sound like you, when the YA line got announced, you were kind of eager to to get in there. Did you were comics a part of your childhood? You were familiar with DC? Uh, for sure. Uh, I grew up. I was a. I love Marvel and DC.
1: Right. And, and the Image and all the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I was first introduced to comics through X-Men, though. Uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, you got to read this thing. Uh, it was this big, big, thick trade paperback, the Dark Phoenix Saga. Oh, nice. I read it fell in love with it, loved X-Men, read everything with an X on it. Um, When I was in high school, the animated series came out, so I'm kind of watching that. Uh, And then slowly I kind of backed into DC as well. I, of course, loved um, the Batman movies, and then Batman the Animated Series came out, and then I kind of fell back into reading the Bat comics. But I really kind of fell in love with, Um, Robin the Tim Drake version of the Mm -hmm. character and he had his own he had the six issue mini limited series I believe and then he had his own line coming out his own monthly um, floppy coming out and then I started reading that and I loved like all the teen angst to it as well Uh, so through that I read more Marvel more DC um, and eventually I discovered you know Big Bar that's got free um, all of Jack Kirby's work with with the new gods and kind of really drew an interest to that and 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 those characters and how they interacted with with those in in the main dc universe
0: yeah and and that's what we have here you know this this story of of um of scott free and Barda when they first meet uh you know scott being there at the granny goodness school so what's interesting is is i don't know if you, if you got a chance to check it out but brandon um brandon easton recently did the a Mr. Miracle series source of freedom that starred Shiloh Norman, who, who's yes. also a person of color and, and kind of explored some of that. And I thought it was great. So when I first saw the cover of this, I thought, Oh, it's Shiloh Norman. And then I opened it and I started reading. It. I'm like, no, wait, it's, it's Scott free. So talk a little bit about the the choice that you made to make him a, a person of color, you know, obviously something that, that speaks to you, you know, personally sure. um, and, and some of the little nuggets uh particularly, there's a scene with Granny Goodness that I that I want to talk about. But, sure. but talk a little bit about choosing to go that direction with Scott for this project. Um, you know, it
1: was just DC was very open to like free reign. Let's rethink these characters. Like we are envisioning them in a whole new world with whole whole new readers. Hopefully, other readers will come to them, but almost like an else world story. And once, mm-hmm. I, once I started thinking about it like that, I really thought, well, I would love to kind of talk about. I would love to have an action story that touches on race, but it's not always about race. Right. I, I do think race, culture, it impacts who we are. Um, but I didn't want it to be the driving impetus of the story. Um, also, it's kind of really interesting to think about, well, what does it mean to be black or what does it mean to be African-American in a world that is not America? Right. Where it's a whole different landscape? Like, what is that? What is what race does what role does race or color still play or what can it still play in that world? Um, So that's kind of where, how it came about. And then we really, really leaned into it in a way that felt authentic to the characters and the story I wanted to tell, but while also kind of keeping the foot on the gas with the action, the heist, kind of the other things going on at the school. But there is one, one little thing with, with granted goodness. And, I don't want to give too much away, but but probably that delves the most with race and, and skin tone and things along those lines. And that was actually Daniel's idea. He had drawn up these different character sketches and he had one. I said, this is great. And like, let me think about how does this work in this story? Because I had been envisioning something else. And then once I saw his character design for granted get us i thought well let me see if i can take both of these and merge them together all still within the confines confines of the story Uh, and i think it worked really really well
0: yeah i thought it was fantastic really inspired because here's the thing i I think that moment and then the 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 last line as um as scott you know goes through the boom Mm -hmm. tube. what what he says you know again it's it's something where it can start a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's very important, I think, especially for readers at this age to be exposed to that kind of thing so that they will ask questions and it does start a conversation with their parents or their mentors or even their peers. Um, but it, it was it was really subtle. But the final thing that that I really enjoyed, especially with the Granny Goodness Calibac scene, was that uh, when you think about who these characters are in terms of kind of their they're not good people, you know, the, 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 yes. the, you know, dark side and his offspring and Granny goodness. These, these are not good people. So of course they're going to have prejudices. Exactly. You know, it, it, it made total sense. And so I, I, I yeah, I thought it worked uh, really, really well. So once it was all said and done, uh, and, and the project was, was finished, you got all the line work in from, uh, from Daniel your collaborator on the project. Were you pleased with how everything, turned out i mean did it did it turn out as well did it exceed your expectations or, or was it like right online with what you uh, what you wanted
1: uh, for sure it, it exceeded expectations i think <clears throat> um it was an interesting process i've done graphic novels before and uh i write graphic novels for um scholastics graphics imprint and when i write those i will write the entire script out first and then Uh, my collaborator on those projects, Shannon Wright, she'll start the illustration process, um, the thumbnail sketches, so on and so forth. But even then, we don't actually start it until the whole thing's done, even though she's looking at pieces of it before. Mm -hmm. Here, Daniel was starting work while I was actually still writing the script. And so it was really kind of nerve wracking knowing that we have a certain amount of pages, a certain amount of pages, and like we're marching towards the end. Are we sure we can get everything into the story that we want to do. Uh, and, and I was really pleased with how it turned out. And it kind of forced me to think about the process of really strong outlining and trying to stick to that story and mm-hmm. trying to think about what am I trying to say? What other small things can I can I add to it without straying from that big thing? Um, it was it was a great uh, lesson as an author, something that I had never uh, done before. Still gives me heart palpitations <laughs> of the idea of doing it again. But knowing that it was successful the first time makes me eager to try again.
0: Yeah, I mean the last thing you want to do cuz Daniel's work's amazing. It, yes. He does a real good job of of making it useful, uh mm-hmm. but also giving us great action and, and yeah. very kinetic. Uh last thing you wanted to do is have to redraw pages because you've got to shift things around so I could I could see how that that would add some yeah. pressure. Yeah. Um having Daniel on board was just such a great a benefit.
1: I was really excited for him to come on board. They have been talking about Daniel maybe working on a project for a while. I was really excited when he said yes to this project because he has such a great eye for the characters and different kind of perspectives, but also great action scenes as well, too. And there's so many times where once the art was done, I could look at it and say, oh, well, yeah, we, let's cut this line here because we, need, we have everything we need from the look on Scott or Barta's face from the way that Daniel brought it to life. Uh, he just, he, I, I feel like the words are just such a small part of, of it. And Daniel brings so much more um, of the characters and, and the story to life through art.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point that you make. Going back, you know, in a, from a sense of a prose perspective, obviously there's always editing, but the, the words have to do the heavy lifting. You just have the words to tell the story. It's a little bit of a different, sort of tack, right? A different process when you're doing uh, graphic novels with, with the pictures. Do you approach it from, I'm going to let the pictures do as much of the lifting and, and, re- you know, as few words as possible. I usually do.
1: Um, in this case, um, Scott is, has a kind of a wise cracky type <laughs> yeah. um, um, demeanor, right? So I knew there were probably, we were probably lean a little bit heavier on some of the captions um, just so we can get kind of that interior thought of him making jokes and things like that, especially when this he's by himself. So in this case, I didn't necessarily want to lose that, where for someone who was, you know, more brooding, uh, let's take a Batman, right? Um, it would certainly be maybe less captions there or a different tone to it. Um, but even then it was all about, well, let's make sure we got them in the right places. And when are we going to lose those captions and in the interior monologuing? When are we going to for sure have it? Or when can we look at dialogue and what characters are saying, um, to get some of that, that feeling across without having too much text on the page?
0: Yeah, it does work, work really, really well. And, you know, Daniel being somewhat of a, uh, an Afrofuturist. Brings that technique, but but what's interesting is if you go and look because I did go to his website and check out some of his other uh, stills, very sort of a different aesthetic, kind of more static images. He really shifted his his typical style in terms of you know the pinups and whatnot that you see on his website to give it that flow, and and it really like you see times where um, Scott Free or Bardo or whoever's gesturing or turning their head, he gives that sense of movement, and again I think it keeps it youthful and it it keeps the, the gas pedal pressed down on the floor the whole time. Exactly. Yeah, I think it worked uh, fantastically. And and the other thing, you know, we, we already talked a little bit about going uh, a different direction with with Scott Free here. Uh, you know, one thing to choose to make him a, a person of color, but another to choose to, to make him that wisecracking young guy where I got the sense that, that was his, his armor while he was in the, the granny goodness school. He's nowhere near as confident as he, he comes across. I think kids of that, of the the target age, I think that's a pretty typical thing. I think they can identify. Is that something that you, you know, you always try to have a character sort of in that milieu when you, uh, when you do a
1: a project. Sure.
0: Uh, Not
1: always, but here I did think because he has gone through so much Mm -hmm. that, 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 that jokey exterior really was armor. Um, and it, she tried to use it to keep aloof and unattached to anyone uh, because they could be gone and be lost in an instant. Um, and I wanted to really explore, well, what's someone whose jokes is attracted to someone who's not very jokey, who's much more serious, and how does that work and how can they truly help each other? And how does that affect Scott when he's looking at all of these other relationships too. how can he merge? How can he let down his armor still be fun and funny, but also be real and, and truly trust uh, the friends and the people around him. Uh, And hopefully that came across in the story. Um, I do know when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about, well, what jokes is he making before? When does he apologize for making a joke? When does he make less jokes? When does Barda joke more? Like, what's the natural progression of these characters when thinking about their armor and their defenses and how they're um, becoming closer to each other?
0: Yeah, I think what I really enjoyed was the fact that he he did sort of pull back uh, with Barda from that, you know, having that armor, having those walls up. But he, that didn't, doesn't mean he stops making jokes completely because yes. he's still going to be who he is.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just a really fun character. And I really wanted it to be fun. Like, I love fun stories. And I took a lot of inspiration from um, Tom King, Tom and Mitch's run on, mm-hmm. on Mr. Miracle. I, and I love that book so so much and they do such a great job of having these really heavy themes while also having it really fun as well too and it's great action and i love the nine panel spreads that they used it's just i can talk about that all day um but i want to take pieces of that at least the spirit of some of that and kind of um, imbue this story with some of it while also knowing i'm doing an entirely different type of story
0: yeah well, i think you you nailed it uh in the end in, in terms of the, what's great about scott and and mitch's book in terms of the relationship that Scott and Barta have in their it, 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 the way they talk to each other is almost shorthand, you know they yeah. know each other so well, and in your uh, story, we see the evolution, we see them heading down that path they they don't get there you know they they've Perfect. just met um they don't get to the point where Tom and Mitch are, but you yeah. can see the the beginnings of it yeah and uh i, I just, yeah again, I just thought it was really special another thing to get back to the racing just for a second this is uh, an inter- relate, uh, racial relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not, I love that it's not mentioned or, you know, we're not browbeat over the head with it or anything, but there's just enough little subtext behind it that, you know, at some point that's uh, going to be a challenge for them.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I am 44. Right. And um, I think the world is certainly more inviting about, interracial relationships now than it was when i was a teenager certainly when my parents were teenagers for sure when my grandparents were teenagers Mm -hmm. um and it's still an issue or not but not necessarily the big issue right it's not so much i can't do this because it will get me killed (laughs) um but more so i can do this but what are our parents going to say or how are we going to interact or what if we have different come from different cultures how does that mesh and how do we make it work with these really strong parts of our culture that we want to hold on to, but how do we blend them to create something for us? Um, So, yeah, I knew it was going to, you know, it's going to cause ripples as it always does, but also it's a different type of ripple as opposed to what it would have been in a story set in America in the 1960s or the 1930s or so on and so forth.
0: Right. Well, again, it goes back to the idea of, of starting conversations, you know, and, and we get to the, you know, again, the target audiences book, They're at that age where these are the conversations they need to be having. I think one of the things when we talk about uh, creative works from persons of color that is still a conversation, I feel like hasn't even really started yet. If you're talking about books created by, you know, Anglo creators, nobody assumes they're all going to be the same, that they talk with the same voice, right? Uh, You know, maybe it's whatever, it's European or it's Eastern European or it's, uh, you know, Western or it's Australian or or it's whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And we all assume that those are diverse voices, but then for whatever reason, when we talk about, you know, black voices, person of color voice, we all assume it's the same voice. You know, people forget just because you have darker skin doesn't mean you're in the same box. We don't make that assumption if you have lighter skin that everybody's the same, but there's, it's still lumping all the the persons of color in the same box and, and you we're seeing that here where with the hints of, you know, granny goodness with Scott free, Mm -hmm. they're different, they're different, you know? And I I think that's still a conversation we need to have. Um, And I I imagine that's as a, as a person of color, as a creator, that must be something that resonates with you. It is. I mean, I think, you know,
1: I love to tell folks, we are not a monolith there, you know, I am knowledgeable on some things and other things when it comes to black culture and that's okay. And there should be books that explores all the different Aspects and facets, and joy and pain associated with Black culture as well. Um, so this gave me a chance to do some of that without, um, with the story that I want to tell, while leaving room for other creators to tell the types of stories that they want to tell as well. Um, there's a lot. There's been a lot of talk, certainly in writing for children and young adults about this idea of black pain and how everyone loves black pain. They want to see the black kid struggle with emotional strife and with all these heavy things. And I'm like, well, that's great. And that's true. And that's important. But also, hey, can they go to the beach sometime? Can they have some fun? Like, can yeah. they can they go to wizard school too? You know, there are, there are all these different aspects of it that we want to see in black culture. We want to see black kids excelling in books and all the things that white kids excel and do at. I think that's true across the board for for, um, creators of color and characters of color. We want them doing lots of different things. So I guess that's why it was really important for me to do this story in a way where I talked about and acknowledged race, but it was not going to be a heavy story centered on race. That was just not something I was interested in in this character for this book. Not saying it's not important, not saying that I wouldn't explore that in another story, but for this story, that wasn't what I was interested in doing. And I'm really happy that um, my editors at DC kind of saw my vision for it. And we all got on the same page.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that the trauma that Scott has, uh, you know, it's the same trauma that, that the Scott free of all, all the versions of Scott free have had, you know, exactly because he doesn't know who his parents are it's because he's, she's trapped on apocalypse. I mean, theoretically when you talk about it in that those terms the color of his skin doesn't matter this guy just wants out from under the thumb of these horrible these horrible people exactly yeah and and yeah. and yeah the 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 jokiness, it is armor but it's also fun you know there's times where it makes you smile as you're reading it and the action's fantastic um but in in terms of creating this new version uh and you know you yourself mentioned being a fan of uh, a jack kirby you you certainly hit all the big sort of story beats you know in terms of Scott not knowing what his origin is, having to escape, meeting Barda. How much of it was a balance to be sure you hit those big story beats, but hey, I want this to be something that's completely different on its own and also very accessible to new readers? Was that a challenge? Sure. It was, I don't know if it was a challenge,
1: but it was certainly a conversation. Hmm. Um, me thinking about what was important for me, for the story, for my fanboyiness, I guess. Right. And then knowing what to let go of. Biggest one, Dark Side. Dark side did not actually make a physical appearance in the book. And I wanted them so bad. I <laughs> wanted them so bad. I and I had written the script and I had written this the, the uh the story with the idea that he's gonna show up right at the end. And um, as we're getting towards the end, um one of my editors, I think it was Sarah, said, I don't think we need Darkseid in the story. And I saw the email and I thought about it for a day or two and I had analysis. yeah, you know. She's right. You're right. We, we do not need him in the story. We have Calibac. We, we have enough going on where that would just add more complexity to a story. And we're not trying to do that at this point. Yeah.
0: And maybe pull um, some focus off of exactly.
1: what you're doing. Yeah. Exactly. It, it certainly does. Um, so I had to let that one go. That was the <laughs> biggest one I had to let go. Um, but otherwise, it was all about making sure we have these uh, homages to Kirby. I think, I mean, he's a genius. And, and while, while acknowledging, what he did and trying to build on it in a way that uh, tells a slightly different story um, that's accessible to maybe a different audience than what would have been accessible in the, in the seventies, let's say.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you did a fantastic job because anybody who's familiar with Scott free and Barta's story and whatnot, I mean, you read this and it's clearly Scott free. It's re- He's recognizable in terms of, you know, his, the challenges and him trying to escape and, you know, the, the voice is a little different certainly younger, you know, more uh, kind of hip, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's scot-free. There's, there's no doubt about it. And I, so obviously as, as we're chatting about this, everybody, it's not even Christmas yet, uh, but this book will be coming out uh, later in, uh, in 2022. So I, there's no way you've already been told, Hey, we can do a sequel because obviously it's not even out there yet. So I, I know you had the decision not up to you, but I, what I do want to ask you is if you had the opportunity to continue this story with this version of Scott and Barda, and maybe I'm selfishly asking because I want <laughs> to read the next chapter. Are you in? Are you in for another one? If, if the, given the opportunity? If I was,
1: if Daniel wanted to do it, I would be in. I would I would really probably only want to do it if Daniel was in too because I just love his style for the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would love to see where, what happens with the characters. When we talked about it, I wanted to end it on a way that's hopeful for the characters but that leaves room for growth and uh i think i even i could might have even said to, to stare when i was emailing I'm like okay fine fine we won't have dark side but like maybe if we do a sequel maybe yeah. he can show up <laughs> um but you're right you know this it's really early to say uh the book comes out in, uh, in january of 2022 um hopefully folks will buy it and, and love it and email and speak out. And if, if enough people want it and if I can uh,
0: pull Daniel on board and depending on what everyone else, you, you never know, but it will be a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. I mean, we've seen uh, other uh, books in the Y land, like the stuff Cami Garcia has done, get, exactly. get sequels. So, so hopefully it can happen. Um, but man, the loyalty to Daniel, and it doesn't surprise me because I mean, he is the perfect artist for, for this book. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the beginning of your collaboration when he when he came on. Um, was there conversations between you two about the look that you wanted to go for in, in terms of specifically how uh, Barda and Scott looked? Uh, I imagine w- kind of with his background in terms of the world building, you probably knew you could just, hey, go crazy, do it. Do what you want.
1: Yeah, I knew that I wanted to give him as much freedom as possible. I and I, I probably only said, OK, Scott looks like a black kid. And I said, "Well, this is kind of what I'm thinking for everybody else, but I'm not sold on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's really important when you've got creators on a project, someone doing the the illustrating, someone doing the writing. That that at the end of the day, it's this combined vision. But but both creators or however many creators have to have their own wants and visions and thoughts." That, and there's got to be room for those to flourish and some give and take. Uh, so I knew my philosophy was I don't want to step on his toes, and I almost don't even want to suggest something that might block off kind of whatever creative thought that that Daniel has. I think Granny Goodness is a great example. I never gave any notes on what I wanted Granny to look like, and we the text took an entirely different um, kind of. It went an entirely different way when I saw those initial character sketches. Um, and so, yeah, we had some conversations about it, but I was very much I'm going to get out of the way and I'm going to try to um, give you as much room as possible while also giving you enough real estate to do those things. And so, you know, I, I know enough to know, like I don't want characters sitting in a small room talking to each other for 30 pages, right? That's not interesting. How can I vary these things? How can I have action? Um, how can I leave you room to really go wild and go ham with some of these, these things as well too. Uh, I I will say, I haven't talked to him since it's been done. Um, when I do talk to him again, I'd be really curious about what he hated about it. Like what thing (laughs) did he did, did he hate doing? Uh, again, I work with some other graphic, uh, some other, uh, Uh, cartoonist and shannon wright on twitch she's like oh i hate cars Uh, i'm so sorry the first book has so many cars in it (laughs) they're always in the car going somewhere um some of you curious that daniel doesn't like i don't know food scenes some people hate food scenes because they got to figure out how the food looks uh or like horses or like horses is a big one horses is a really really big one horses
0: i don't have any horses i've kind of learned horses are a really really tough one to do so i try to steer clear of those yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to know if there's anything, Daniel, didn't I? I mean, the, the fact is he got to draw the, you know, the setting, the background is Apocalypse, which is yeah. futuristic kind of in his wheelhouse. But yeah, it would be, be interesting. But you know as you're talking about kind of getting out of the way and letting Daniel do his thing, you, you understand that that's where his expertise lies. It goes back to something you said earlier about nobody's a monolith. Mm-hmm. You got to realize, hey, this is what he's good at. And the best thing I can do is let him do his thing because he's going to, in turn, make my work look that much better.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and one other thing, again, talking about creators of color, I think so often uh writer or illustrator, there's this idea that we fit into this certain box or this type of story we want to tell. Mm-hmm. And I love that we can tell, tell a story set on a different world. Like, Hey, black people, you know, exist in space too. Yep. Um, I love that we can do that and, and and create this vision. So it's not always tied to, uh, racial strife in America. It's not always set, something that's historical. Those are important. And I love those stories. So I, so I guess I want to reiterate, I love stories about race and culture and history. I just don't want to be put in a box where that's the only type of story I could tell. And I, I know Daniel feels the same way, that he wants the freedom to create all these different types of stories and, words and worlds with his art.
0: Well, I think, like I said, uh, you guys did a great job you know, the, the subtext is there. There's a little nuggets, like we said at the beginning, but the overall feel that I got while reading it was, this is fun. This is a lot of fun. It really Thanks. is. And, and yeah, there's the, also the subtext of the trauma Scott has gone through. And again, regardless of the version you're talking about and the kind of the, the background of the the horrifying and, and kind of fascist regime of apocalypse is there. And that those things inherently are not fun, but yes. the action story that you guys have created and the the relationship between these young kids who are really trying to still establish their identity is something we can all relate to because everybody at that age because it really is kind of like a junior high high school uh, type of school we can all relate to that because we all went through it right exactly exactly yeah yeah and then for the young kids that are reading it maybe even more important because they're, they they sh- they're probably going through it right right now while they're reading it yeah yep. So, I mean, is that one of the things that really draws you to, to writing young adult, writing for that age? It does. I love ex- exploring first, first uh, first crushes, first dances, first
1: day of school, uh, and, and all the various emotions uh, that come with that. I, I was talking to someone, maybe I was talking to my daughter, and she was talking about how something was so hard, and she's like, it probably doesn't sound like a big deal. I was like, oh, no, sweetie, it's a huge deal, and just because... It's not like no, you're not dealing with a problem of like ending world hunger. No, but you're dealing with a problem that's really specific to you. And like you are entitled to feel all the feelings because you've never even gone through before. You don't even know how to, to process it. And that was really heady. She wasn't really trying to hear all that. She was just trying to hear, am I okay? Like you're gonna be fine, you're great. Well, let's have it out. But I think it's it's true, like there's so many feelings and emotions with all these first new things as you're growing into the person you want to be um i think it's fun to explore and i think it's interesting for young people to to see that in other characters and reflect on it in themselves or or their friends or their relationship with their parents or, or teachers or, or whatever the case um you mentioned before how hopefully parts of this will be bothered for for discussion will will peak interest will cause folks to to ask questions i really hope that's the case uh and it could be things about race it could also be about relationships like oh this boy keeps throwing mashed potatoes at me do you think (laughs) that means he likes me maybe he does or maybe he just doesn't like mashed potatoes whatever the case i hope it stirs up um room for conversation between friends between uh young people and their Older people, their guardians, their parents or whomevers uh, just across the board. I hope folks
0: talk. Well, one other thing that I that I hope it does in terms of getting people to ask questions, uh, you know, I know you have your own kind of fan base that have read your your previous works. It would be great if some of them picked this up because you wrote it who aren't familiar with DC and discover the whole new world, because, as you know, being a DC fan. It's it's a wonderful universe to uh, to explore and learn about all these uh, all these heroes and all these wonderful stories that have been out for decades. You know. Yeah, I I, I agree, and I think, I mean, comics can be
1: very intimidating mm-hmm. when you're coming to it and you're looking at a book that's got issue 544. Like, oh, do I have to read them all before then? Or you're coming to into a fan base that's so knowledgeable about it. Mm-hmm. I, I love the idea that we can strip certain things down. And that we can just explore the characters as they are now, and we don't necessarily need all the backstory. I love the backstory. I love the history of so many of these characters. It can be convoluted. We always have to do a reset every now and then, right? DC especially. Um, but I I love that there is this history, but we don't always need the history to experience the characters. And I think DC's line of books for young readers is so great with that. Like I, I love I love the work that Cami's done. Um, I love the work. Oh gosh, I'm blanking now. Um, um, um Mariko Tamaki. I love I well, I love Mariko Tamaki anyway. I love all of her work. Um, but some of the work she did with Harley Quinn and another one as well, too. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. They're all great and they're all accessible. And they want they to me, hopefully someone will read them and then they'll want to read more about those characters or other characters, and it will just grow, grow, grow from there. Yeah, the
0: one that um my daughter just cannot get enough of is uh, is Primer. She, mm. She's read that over and over by yep. Thomas Krajewski. Uh, yes. And in fact, uh, her and I are supposed to be doing that. She's like, Daddy, I want to come on the podcast and talk about Primer. I mean, she's read it like six times. So,
1: Oh, that's so great.
0: That yeah, we're going to make that happen awesome. uh, one of these days. So uh, anyway, uh, Varian, it's been fantastic. Chatting with you. Best of luck on the book. Like I said, I hope it does gangbusters. I want a sequel. I want uh, you to be able to play in this world and with these characters uh, a little bit more. Um, As we're winding up here, anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Anything else to say? Um, Buy books. Check out books. Support your local independent bookstores and your
1: local independent comic shops. shops, they are the lifeblood of this industry, y'all. And I know there's different ways to acquire books. There's all these things you can find on the internet, but there's nothing like going to a store and picking up that book and holding it in your hands and flipping it through. Not the reading on the iPad or the device isn't great either, but oh there's something like the 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 feeling the pages turn in your hand so please support
0: your local independent uh stores great that's great uh yeah great advice and uh yeah i mean i i I read a lot of my comics digitally now because i get the the press previews and everything and it's an easy way to carry hundreds of books around at the same time but yeah there's nothing like that smell of an old comic as you know so uh anyway as i said thanks for joining us everybody uh Don't forget to go and check out Mr. Miracle, The Great Escape, coming out uh, in late January 2022. Uh, We thank Varian for his his time today in, in talking with us. And we thank all you listeners, as always, for your support and for joining us. We're happy to have you, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us.